three-part series on how to live godly lives in the last days. And it'll be about a four to five part series, but today we are going to paint the picture. Today we are drawing the picture and we're going to just highlight the canvas on which you're going to have to live a godly life. And the Bible tells us plenty of what it will look like in the last days and it's not pretty. But do not fear. If we trust in God, he has overcome the world. But through the words of Jesus, before we open our Bibles to the book of Hebrews, Jesus, in painting the picture of the last days, uses a peculiar word that many of us who may be athletes or lift weights, or if you've ever given birth, you know that you have to push until the final end, that you have to get that last rep in. And in Matthew 10, 22, Jesus says this about those of us who will live in the last days. You will be hated by all because of my name, but it is, but it is the ones who endure to the end will be saved. There's that word, right? I'm going to emphasize it. You're going to have to endure in the last days. It's not going to be a a walk in the park. It's not going to be easy peasy, nice and easy, like my girls like to say. It's going to be an endurance race. And those who are the most fit, fit not in physical form, although that helps, but fit in the word of God that are going to endure. Matthew 24, 13 says, but the one who endures to the end, he will be saved. Endurance is part of the Christian walk. Mark 13, 13 says, you will be hated by all. Not by some, not just Hamas, not just people from other religions, not just people against Christianity. You will be hated by all because of my name. But the one who endures to the end, he will be saved. So I don't know what goes in your mind when you think of the word endurance, but if you ever ran 15 miles, as somebody did here, or if you've ever ran a marathon, the most I've ever ran is six miles, and I was looking at my watch, and I saw it was only half a mile to go. I said, I could do this, but my body was saying, no, no, no. Mind over matter. We're going to have to trust God with all of our being, but the only way we get to trust God that way and endure it to the end is to be grounded in the Word of God, is to recognize His voice now where things are still that we'll be able to endure. Open your Bibles with me to the book of Hebrews, chapter 10. The book of Hebrews, chapter 10. The book of Hebrews, chapter 10. Beginning in verse 32, Paul is writing to the Hebrew Christians, and the main issue in the book of Hebrews is that they're vacillating. Christianity is becoming hard. It's not popular. It is not well taken by the leaders, and many of them are contemplating going back into the old ways, to Judaism, with the law and Moses and the sacrifices, and they're vacillating. Do I give up on Christianity? And many of us will feel that way as the days get darker. Darker. Is it worth it still to be a Christian in these days? 
Many are going to be doubting whether the walk we have walked has been one grounded in truth, whether what we believed has been real all along. And it is a crazy thing when you begin to doubt the word of God because you wonder, have I thrown my life away? And so Paul says in verse 32, but remember the former days when after being enlightened, you endured, there's that word again, a great conflict of suffering, partly being made a public spectacle through reproaches and tribulations, and partly becoming sharers with those who were so treated. For you showed sympathy to the prisoners and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property. As I was looking at that verse, I laughed. Because I was thinking of my three daughters. Nobody wants that one doll. But the moment one of the kids grabs that doll, everybody wants to seize that doll. Right? None of us like anything taken from us. But it will be in the last days when we've been told you can no longer buy or sell. That they will take your hard-earned earnings from you. They will take your 401k. They will take away your house. They will take away your possessions. And we're going to live like Elijah lived, depending on the grace of God to feed us. Can we do that? Can we endure that? Are we ready for that? Look at verse 34. For you showed sympathy to the prisoners and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property, knowing that you have for yourself a better possession and a lasting one. Some of you may know that when I go to the dentist and I'm sitting there at the dentist, what gets me through the dentist is that I pretend I'm being tortured in the last days. <laughs> and I spend the time praying. I, this is serious. I'm as serious as can be. I spend the time praying that I may endure this torture. <clears throat> But then it gets me thinking of the actual last days. And think about it. If they throw you in a prison for your faith, where you have no food, where the only company is the rats next to you, will you rejoice or will you be sad and scared? I've taught myself at this point to rejoice. Because if I'm being thrown in prison under those conditions for my faith, then he's coming soon. He's coming soon. It says, knowing that you have for yourself a better possession, a lasting one. Keep reading verse 35. Therefore, in light of all of that's happened, in light of all the persecution that's coming, in light of the fact that we have to endure to the end, Christ has told us, Paul has told us, he says, do not throw away your confidence, which has great reward. I like saying eternal reward because we know that if we suffer in this life for the cause of Christ, I have a home in glory that will outshine the sun. Elon Musk doesn't have enough money to even be pavement in the glorious heaven that we will be. But you're going to have to endure that time of trouble. You're going to have to recognize that I need to cling to Christ. You're going to have to give it all you got to take out that last rep in your set. Therefore, he is urging us, do not throw away your confidence, which has great reward. But then here comes the admonition in verse 36. For you have need of endurance. Why, Paul? Because if we're honest with ourselves, we are part of the church here 
in the United States of America. We don't suffer persecution yet. We don't live in a place like Gaza where they will kill you for your faith. We have everything we need. Comfortable homes, food on our demand, the Bible whenever we want it, in different forms, audio, electronic, on my computer, on my iPad, on my watch, on my desk. I have 15 Bibles in my office just sitting there, different translations. You know, when you train for something, a marathon or weightlifting to hit a new PR, if you don't train for two or three weeks, they say you get soft. Right? And that first day back in the gym seems a little harder. It seems like that weight you lifted easily the last time for five reps, you could only get four this time. The church in America, we've been told in Revelation chapter 3, is that we've been lulled to sleep. We're soft. And the, and the worst thing you can do to endure a race or endure a weightlifting competition or a boxing match, the worst thing you can do is not train three weeks prior to your endeavor. We've been warned that we think we are in need of nothing. And yet we're blind and miserable and naked. Paul says, for you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. And here's further what he says. For yet in a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one, speaking of us believers, shall live by what? Faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith to the persevering of the soul. We may be soft here in America, but he has faith in us that we are going to persevere until the end. But it's time, high time, that we know the weapons we need, that we know the endurance we need. For when the days come upon us, who will be able to stand? The Bible asks. And so now I want to look at some of these verses that paint how dark and gleam is going to be in those last days. Matthew 24, 22, you don't have to look it up, you can write it down. Jesus tells us, unless those days had been cut short, no life would have been saved. How many life? No life. But for the sake of the elect, you and I, those days will be cut short. Because when you can't lift that last set, and your hands and your shoulders are trembling and your wrists feel like they're going to crush underneath you. You need that last effort to get you through. Unless those days have been cut short, no life would have been saved. But for the sake of you and I, the elect, those days will be cut short. Listen to this quote by the Spirit of Prophecy. It is a solemn statement that I make to the church, not to unbelievers, not to atheists, not to Bart Ehrman, to the church. 
that not one in 20 whose names are registered upon the church books are prepared to close their earthly history and would be verily without God and without hope in the world as a common sinner. Is it I, Lord? Am I one of the 19 who's not ready? It's a question I ask myself in preparing this sermon almost daily. But it's a question that I ask myself often. Is it I, Lord? Am I one of the 19? Matthew 7, 21 through 23, that we went and studied during the Sermon on the Mount, many will say on that day, Lord, Lord. But he will say, I never knew you. You didn't endure until the end. Jesus says in Mark 13, 12, that, that well, let me put it this way. Look around you, seriously. If you're with your family, look around. Look at those you're sitting with. If you're sitting with them, it's because you're pretty close to them. But look what Mark 13, 12 says. Now brother will betray brother to death. Your very betrayer may be sitting next to you. And father his child. And children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. This is how much pressure you know it's not going to be physical pressure as much see the beauty of physical pressure is that when the body cannot tolerate anymore what happens you faint right or you die but this is going to be a mental pressure put upon you by brothers and sisters fathers and parents children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death and you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but he who endures to the end will be saved. John 16, 2. They will put you out of the synagogue. Yes, listen. The time is coming that whoever kills you will think that he offers God service. It's going to get so bad that they think they are offering you to God as a pleasing aroma and sacrifice to the God they serve. A God that you and I do not comprehend. A guy, a God that you and I do not understand. That we do not worship. But they will think that by killing you, because you remain faithful to God. And remember, nothing that happened to Jesus is not going to happen to you. They killed them thinking they were saving the nation. They're going to think they're going to kill you to save the nation from the calamities. But you will have to endure until the end. Luke 17, 26 says, As it was in the days of Noah, so it will also be in the days of the Son of Man. They ate. They drank. They married wives. They were given in marriage. Until the day that Noah entered the ark, and the flood came and destroyed them all. And now this is kind of weird, right? 
Because there's going to be one aspect of society, you and I, that we're suffering under the pressure of persecution, that we have to endure until the end because we have great reward, eternal reward. But we may be in jail, we may be running, we may be in the mountains and in the cave, yet there is going to be a group of people who are going to be living their lives as if nothing is happening. They're going to be making money in the stock market, in AI, Bitcoin, whatever it is. They're going to be living in their lap of luxury, not knowing that their end is right at the door. May we not be those who think everything is hunky-dory as we see the end times coming. So in one sense, it's going to be utter chaos. And in the other sense, people are going to be so deceived and so lulled into sleep, they do not see the destruction right at their door. Luke 17, 28 through 30 says, Likewise, as it was also in the days of Lot, they ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. But on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even so, it will be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. Another sign of what it will be like in the last days is found in the book of Judges. In those days, there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And boy, do we see that today in society. I can imagine I'm whatever I want to be. I could be this today, and I could be something else tomorrow. And we pull up with this foolishness in the name of tolerance. We just read, like in the days of Noah, in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah, in the days of Lot. You look at stories, and I'm not going to look at them, but I'll tell you a little bit because I have to keep it. There are children here. But if you... Read these stories on your own. If you're old enough to read, then you're old enough to be able to understand these stories. Both found in chapters 19, Genesis 19, and Judges 19. And let me give you a little background to what those stories represent. Those stories represent Lot. And Jesus said, in the last days it will be like Lot. And Judges 19 represents what the world looks like when the grace of God is removed from it. What do the stories have in common? Both of them had special guests stay at their house. And the city surrounded the house wanting to violate the men of that house. And the Lord put a stop to that madness and spared. But in one in Judges 19, the woman dies after she has been violated by the people all night long. Then the person chops her in 12 and sends her throughout Israel. There's not a redeeming quality in Judges 19, and yet Paul tells us that all Scripture is inspired by God, and it's good for reproof, for correction, and training in righteousness. So when I did a paper on Judges 19, mind you, because Ellen White says nothing on Judges 19, so I wanted to stretch my thought. I realize that the lesson is teaching us there is that is what it looks like when the world does not have the grace of God. 
We are safe in this world because God's redeeming grace is restraining the evil around us. But that's why Jesus told us, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith in the earth? Because iniquity will abound, the love of many will grow cold. And we see it today, the hatred of people. We see it today. Deuteronomy paints an even bleaker picture. Deuteronomy 28, 53-55. Listen to these words. People will have forgotten God so much. The restraining spirit of God would have left them so long ago. That verse 53 prophesizes these words. And you shall eat the fruit of your womb, the flesh of your sons and daughters, whom the Lord your God has given you. In the siege and in the distress, distress with which your enemies shall distress you. Then the man who is the most tender and refined among you will begrudge food to his brother, to the wife he embraces, and to the last of the children whom he has left. They're going to be fighting for the last breadcrumbs, so that he will not give to any of them any of the flesh of his children whom he is eating, he has, because he had nothing else left. In the siege and in the distress with which your enemy shall distress you, in all your times, when the Spirit of God in the last days is removed. Well, this had an earlier fulfillment in 2 Kings 6.24. Now as the king of Israel was passing by on the wall, a woman cried out to him, saying, Help me, O Lord, O king. And he said, If the Lord will not help you, how will I help you? From the threshing floor or from the wine press? And the king asked her, what is your trouble? And she answered, this woman said to me, give your son that we may eat him today, and we will eat my son tomorrow. So we boiled my son and ate him, and on the next day I said to her, give your son that we may eat him, but she has hidden her son. We're painting the canvas, because in the midst of this crazy world that we're headed towards. There is going to be a people whose light will shine, not by their own power, but by the grace of the living God living inside of them. It will be so dark that people will be able to navigate through life because they see the light of Jesus Christ in your heart. You will stand out in the darkest of darkest times in earth history because there is a light in you called Jesus Christ. Ellen White says this. You know, when I go to the dentist and I'm pretending I'm in the last days, once the last thing is done, I always leave the dentist saying to myself, okay, that wasn't so bad. I saw my wife give birth. In fact, I helped deliver our three girls. And in the end, when she's holding the baby, yes, she recognized she went through a tough thing, but the joy of holding one of our daughters overcomes the pain. 
But she says this about the last days. It is often the case that trouble is greater in anticipation than in reality. But this is not true of the crisis before us. The most vivid presentation cannot reach the magnitude of the ordeal. I just talked to you about parents eating their kids. And she says, nothing can reveal to us how bad it's going to be. In that time of trial, every soul must stand for himself before God. Though Noah, Daniel, or Job were in the land, as I live, says the Lord God, they shall deliver neither son nor daughter. They shall but deliver their own souls by their righteousness. I can't give what I have to my wife or to my kids. I can't give what I have to the church. I, you, I can't take it from you. Everyone will have to endure for themselves in the end. Praise God, we don't have to endure in our own strength. We have to surrender on a daily basis to our Lord. And he who began the good work in you will be faithful to complete it until that day. Jesus concludes with these words as he is talking to his disciples in Matthew 24 about the endurance we'll have to take. He says in John 16, 33, I have said these things to you that you may have peace. Peace, Lord. In the midst of the darkness that we're about to face. Peace, Lord, when we are being persecuted and thrown to the lion's den and put in jail. Peace, Lord. He says, yes, peace. You see, in the world, you will have tribulation. But take heart, he says. I have overcome them. See, he asks you and I to endure. But he endured first. There's nothing he's asking you to do that he hasn't done himself first. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross because he saw the millions of redeemed by the precious blood that he shed. And he said, it will be worth it to endure this flogging and this cross and this mocking and this betrayal. Because I see you and I see the sons and daughters that you have given birth to. Surrendering to Christ and enduring under the most hardship that the world will ever see. But we're going to have to endure that time. In 1 John 5, 5, he says, who is it? that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. And that's what we're going to be studying in the next weeks. How do, we, how do I, how do you become the type of person that will shine brighter as the days get dark? We start a new year. We all have our resolutions and we all have the things we want to better ourselves in. Lose weight, save more money, come to church. Is that why we're packed today? Or do we want Christ because we want him with all our breath? Because we know that without him I cannot endure. 
Without him, I will be tempted to forsake him. Without him, I will be tempted to say, it's not worth it to be a Christian. seen or ear have heard what he has for you and me if we endure to the end. That's all I want as I get older. But now that I'm a parent, I want that and my kids. My wife is on her own. <laughs> what I mean by that is she's a grown woman. But yes, I want her by my side. I want us to endure together, knowing this. That I, if I place my trust in him, nothing can separate me from the love of God. Neither height nor death, no powers, no principalities. You can take my life. And I can go out with a smile because I will see my Savior the very next time I open my eyes. But it's going to take endurance. Not earthly endurance, but a supernatural endurance. And the only way you get that endurance is to hear the other four parts of the sermon. Is to surrender your life to Jesus Christ. Young or old, it's never too late because in Him we have the endurance to overcome. Why? Because He has overcome the world. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for your love. Father, you give us you give it to us straight in your word. It's going to be dark. It's going to be bleak. But if we stay focused on you, we can overcome. Father, give us all the endurance we need. Because all we need is you. In your son's precious name we pray. Amen. Next week's sermon. You're going to want to have to want it every ounce of your life but if you accept him today in your heart then nobody no one can pluck you out of his hands and I told my wife that throughout this week as I was preparing this sermon about how dark it's going to be often I found myself laughing laughing at such a dark sermon I was laughing because I know that the only way I'm going to survive that is if, if Christ takes me through. There's no way I can do it on my own. So I know I'm guaranteed because I'm just going to stay in his hands and he will pull me through. And that's the only way. So will you surrender? Not publicly. We don't need to make a public skeptical of it. But in your heart, will you commit? To him and no one else. That's your desire. Propose that in your own heart right now. We're not promised tomorrow. And I want to see all of us in the kingdom. When he comes. 
Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love. Thank you for all that you provide. We thank you that you've given to us the way it's going to be. But you have also told us that you have overcome the world. Thank you. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen.